Good morning. My name is Mark Williams, and I'm one of the pastors here. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, talking about the prophet Jeremiah and the life that matters. Specifically, three words, all beginning with the letter P, passion, pursuit, and perseverance. And this morning we start with passion and the call of Jeremiah, specifically from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Hear now the word of God. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever made up a really pathetic excuse? The best excuse I ever heard was from a friend of mine named Joe in seminary, and he fell asleep in class one day. And the teacher decided to play a trick on him, so she took a chalkboard eraser and threw it over in his direction. And he woke up startled and said, oh no, I was praying. (laughs) But if you think that's bad, I thought I'd share with you some real excuses uh, parents have written to teachers to excuse their child uh, from school. Please excuse Corey from school today. He fell off a tree and misplaced his hip. Please excuse Ray Friday from school. He has very loose vowels. Please excuse Lisa for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. Dear school, please excuse John being absent on January 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, 32nd, and also 33rd. Dear school, my son is under doctor's care and should not take P.E. today. Please execute him. And then finally, please excuse Jennifer for missing school yesterday. We forgot the Sunday paper off the porch, and when we found out it was Monday, we thought it was Sunday. Have you ever made a really pathetic excuse? You know, during the times in my life when God has called me to live out the passion in my heart, I too have come up with some pretty clever excuses. So quite frankly, I sympathize with the prophet Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah to speak words of truth to Judah, to urge people to turn away from their sins and back towards God. And the first thing Jeremiah does after he hears a call from God is he says, time out, and offers up some excuses. Three of my personal favorites. God, I'm inadequate. Jeremiah says, but God, I don't even have words to speak. Been there before. God, I'm not talented enough or smart enough or holy enough to follow the passion in my heart. I don't even have my life together. And yes, God, I know that the original disciples were inadequate by the world's standards, just a bunch of blue-collar fishermen. 
uneducated like those guys on the Discovery Channel's Alaskan King Crab Catch. Not saints or superhumans, people I could have bumped into at HEB, but me, God? God, I'm inadequate. A second excuse Jeremiah throws out is, God, I'm too young. God, I'm only a boy. Why are you appointing me? Been there before, too. God, whether it's preaching or coaching the Dallas Cowboys or running for president in the Democratic Party in this country, the world tells you you have to be at least 50 to be significant. Well, come back, God, in another 25 years, and and I'll follow my passion then. And I know, God, that David was 14 when he toppled Goliath, and I, too, know that Mary was 16 when she held Jesus in her womb. And I also know that Noah was over in the form old folks home when you called him to build that ark. But God, someone my age? And then a third excuse that Jeremiah throws out, and I think this one's probably at the root of the other two, and it's, God, I'm afraid. God, what will happen if I follow the passion in my heart? What will other people say? God, there is just so much fear of the unknown. Some weeks ago, I traveled with my fiance's family to Universal Studios in Florida. And they have a neat ride there modeled after the hit 1970s movie Jaws. And you get on a boat and you ride around a harbor and these mechanical great white sharks hop out of the water and then crash against the side of the boat. To be honest with you, though, I thought the mechanical sharks were uh, pretty lame. I bet Michael Crocker would have been scared because he's kind of a wimp. But me, you know, I, 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 you know, I was not scared. But what I was uh, a bit fearful of is just where the next shark was going to come out of the water. Thought about that and a uh, article I read in a philosophy class in college uh, about that movie Jaws, in which horror experts, uh, terror movie experts, agreed that the reason why that movie incited so much fear in people is that you never got to see the shark until the end of the movie. In fact, you may have been able to see a fin or something bump up against a boat or somebody getting sucked under the water, but never the actual shark itself. And that fear of the unknown was absolutely paralyzing. Peter Steinke, a leading expert on anxiety, picked up on this, and he said that our chances of getting uh, chewed up by a shark are 900,900,000 to one. But the chances of drowning are only 225,000 to one. Nevertheless, says Steinke, the news media is ten times more likely to report shark attacks than they are to offer tips for safe swimming. Now, why do you think that is? It's because fear of the unknown ignites anxiety and just paralyzes us. God, I know you have put passion in my heart, but what if dot, dot, dot? Inadequacy, age, fear of the unknown. If you find yourself making these excuses or offering up these excuses to God, then I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that you're worshiping the right God. Paul Tillich once said that it is a safe bet that if you have never tried to flee God, you are not worshiping the God who really is God. But here's the bad news. If all you do is keep making excuses, then you will have wasted the passion God has put in your heart. 
Because I believe that much like the prophet Jeremiah, well before we were ever born, God put passion in each of our hearts. Hence, living a life that matters begins with identifying that God-given passion. So after studying the prophet Jeremiah, someone who was able to move beyond some of these initial excuses to live out his passion, I thought I'd offer up for you this morning uh, some observations about how we might be able to do just that. Identify our God-given passion. And my first observation is just very simple. A God-given passion is something that burns in your heart. Jeremiah described it this way in chapter 20, verse 9. He said, there's a fire burning in my bones and I can't hold it in. Interestingly enough, that's the same way the disciples on the road to Emmaus talked about Jesus. They said, while we were on that road, our hearts were burning inside. Wherever your heart burns, that is a place of God-given passion. But before I go on, let me offer up a disclaimer. Passion is not the same as intensity. The last thing I want for you is for you to leave here today thinking that passion means you've got to live every moment of your life as if you were Bobby Knight down by 10 in the locker room at halftime. That is not passion. That is intensity. Bill Hybels helped me with this. He said, often Christian passion will manifest itself in compassion. And I think he's right. Some of the most passionate Christians I know are not so much intense as they are compassionate. Their heart burns for other people. For example, there's a gentleman in our congregation who was diagnosed with cancer some years back, and now his passion is to visit other people in the hospital who are dealing with a similar adversity. His heart burns for those cancer victims. Or I think about my own mother who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1998, and now her passion is leading and organizing support groups for people with MS. That's what burns in her heart. You couldn't pay her not to. Or I think about another older gentleman in our congregation who some years ago uh, literally got burned in a helicopter accident. And now his passion is to reach out to children every summer at a burn camp who have likewise been burned. That's his passion, and he could not hold it in. Now, I know some of y'all may not have been diagnosed with any major disease, but that cannot prevent pain from coming into your heart. I bet every single person today brought with them to this service some sort of pain in your heart, whether it's pain at work or pain in your family or pain in your neighborhood. Wherever there your heart burns, that is a place of God-given Passion. So that's my first point. A passion is just wherever your heart burns. My second point is a God-given passion is something that is rewarding in and of itself. One of the ironic things about Jeremiah's life is that by the world's standards, he was a failure. People ignored him. He was persecuted for uh, uh, preaching the word of God. But nevertheless, Jeremiah did it anyway because he found the reward in the action itself. You know, if somebody else has to tell you that your passion matters, then maybe it's not your passion. Because Jeremiah, I don't think, had any desire to be famous or have any recognition. He would have been a loser in that society. 
But nevertheless, the passion mattered to him at a very personal level. Today, you may be aware, it's Rosa Parks' birthday and read her biography a couple of years ago. And one of the neat comments that she made was, that afternoon when I resisted to give up my bus seat in Montgomery, Alabama, I wasn't really trying to be famous or a figurehead of the civil rights movement. I just did what I thought mattered to me in my heart. Here's a woman inadequate, the wrong color, at least by the world standards, with no possible reward for her action other than the action itself, but she does it anyway. That's passion. Now, do you think Rosa Parks could have ever dreamed that her action would one day pave the way for you and I to turn on our TV in the living room tonight and watch as two African-American coaches square off against each other for the first time in NFL history in the Super Bowl? No. The passion rewarded itself. She just took action for what mattered to her at a very personal level. A passion is something that burns in your heart. A passion is something that rewards itself. And then my fourth observation is that a passion is often plural. When I consider the life of uh, Jeremiah or the life of Paul or even the life of Jesus, I think God desires for us to have more than just one passion. Read in Time Magazine an article about children ages 11 to 13 who play only one sport. You know, traveling teams, two-a-days, you name it, they do it. And what the statistics or the research uh, revealed was that amongst this group, they were five times more likely to experience burnout or a lack of passion than were other kids their age who played a sport in another sport or a sport in music or theater in music. I think that's just true of her life as a whole. One of the joys of uh, being a pastor is being able to talk about people on behalf of them at their funeral. And some of the best funerals or the most memorable ones I've done is when I've talked about people's multiple passions. You know, someone's daughter will tell me that uh, her dad and mom uh, revealed to her an exemplar of Christian marriage. And a grandson will say, my granddad was always there for me. And someone in his infantry uh, will say that this person uh, was so dedicated to his country. And someone in his workplace will say, this is the most honest businessman uh, I ever worked with. Someone in his small group would say, he was always the first one to call when somebody else was grieving. And I think about that, and I think about my own life, and, you know, I hope that I live out more than one of the passions God has put in my heart. I don't want to be just passionate about preaching. I want to be passionate about being a husband. I want to be passionate about being a neighbor. So I don't think you have to look for one specific passion and throw all your eggs into that basket and follow it. I think God may very well be calling you to live out more than one passion. Passion burns in your heart. Passion rewards itself. Passion is often plural. And then fourth and finally, I believe that passion is often never fully discovered until you take a risk and dive in. As I think about Jeremiah and his life and consider some of the excuses he made, I don't ever believe Jeremiah was ever able to overcome all of his fears. 
before he started prophesying. But what I do believe Jeremiah was able to do was trust God enough to move out into the fire so that there he could discover his passion. You ever heard that phrase, getting thrown into the fire? I think that's what happens to Jeremiah, and he's able to not necessarily overcome his fear, but at least trust God enough to jump into that fear. I'll close with a story uh, about a lecture I heard uh, some years ago by Paul Farmer. If you're in an Oprah book club, you probably know who this guy is. He is a, um, a, a physician, uh, the key physician in the book Mountains Beyond Mountains by Tracy Kidder. And uh, Dr. Farmer went to medical school in Harvard, uh, at Harvard. And after he was done medical school, he um, decided to devote his life toward mission in third world countries, um, uh, disease in places like Peru and Cuba and Haiti, and he traveled all around there and had some magnificent stories. And his presentation was just incredible. Uh, in fact, all the students who were there gave him a standing ovation. Uh, it was all said and done. Everybody sat down, and it was time for questions. And the very first question came from a girl. He was on a stage like this, and she came from the back, and she ran forward toward the stage and grabbed the microphone and asked the question that actually was on my heart. And she said, Dr. Farmer, what about your faith inspired you to go out into the mission field? And I'll never forget his response. He said, you know what? At the time, my faith was actually pretty weak. It wasn't until I got out into the fire that I discovered my passion and in turn discovered my faith. If you and I just continue to make excuses, waiting for that final inspiration that will push us over the edge, that final inspiration that will enable us to live out our passion. That inspiration, quite frankly, may never come. But what if? What if you and I had faith enough to just dive into the fire? Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for putting passion into our hearts before we were ever born. I ask, God, that you would uh, give us the courage and take away our fears as we seek to live out uh, the passion that you have put in our lives and in our hearts. Lord God, we admit today also that we are, in fact, inadequate. We have sinned and fallen very short of your glory. And so now we have a moment of silence, Lord, to offer up our confessions to you. Gracious God, on the cross, your son Jesus Christ whispered forgiveness on us all. And for that forgiveness, we are grateful for you. Take away uh, the sins of the world and map us on to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is, Lord, that we ask at this time that you would send your Holy Spirit to be with us now as we feast at your table. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you anoint this bread and wine
make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that so by taking that body and blood, we might be one with Christ and one in ministry to all the world. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer and our salvation. Amen.